You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. The chase was 12 minutes. We took four weeks to shoot it. Even when they jumped into, when, they, when the cars went into the bay at the end of that sequence, uh, that was real. In fact, we didn't even cheat. We didn't even undercrank it. We didn't speed it up. We actually shot it. They were going 70 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, that was quite the Director and film historian Peter Bogdanovich. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Welcome to For Pete's Sake Week here on Now I've Heard Everything. Every interview I'm featuring this week is with a gentleman named Pete, or Peter. We start today with a great film director. Peter Bogdanovich did a little bit of everything in Hollywood. He was an actor, he was a writer, he was a film historian, he was a director. I think maybe he even got coffee a couple of times. Movies he directed include such acclaimed films as The Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, What's Up Doc, and a host of others. And along the way, during his decades-long career, Peter Bogdanovich worked with some of the greatest Hollywood legends, the people he calls the original movie stars, people like John Wayne and Orson Welles and Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant. In 2004, Bogdanovich published a book full of his recollections of working with all those legends. He called the book, Who the Hell's In It? Conversations with Hollywood's Legendary Actors. And that's when I had the chance to meet him and sit down and talk for a few minutes. So here now from 2004, Peter Bogdanovich. It's very. It's a personal book, uh, more than the director's book, to which it's a companion volume. I did a director's book called Who the Devil Made It, mm-hmm. which was about directors. This is about movie stars, really more about the the original movie stars than what we have today. So it's a, it's a, it was just that, based on who I thought belonged in it. And each of these River tw- Phoenix is in a, is a, is a, the only contemporary. Mm-hmm. But each star. of these twenty five are somebody that that you, in one way or another, even if it's only obliquely, as in Marilyn Monroe's case, came into contact with at some point over the years. Some contact, although uh, the only one that isn't like that is Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. But the Bogart article is really uh, the Bogart chapter is really um, sort of the most in depth look. At the differences between a, the movie star as a person and the and the movie star as a persona, and um, I kind of use Bogart as a, as a template for that in the in the book. You make an interesting point. I forget whose chapter it was that I was reading in here, where you said that in under the old star system, viewers would get to see Cagney or Bogart four or five, six times a year. Now we Could may be. we we may see an, a star once a year, twice a year, if that. Yeah. It's a different world. I mean, when, when the stars were under contract, they kept them working. <laughs> yes. And working and working and working. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I have to tell you, as I went through this book, and I did, I did go from first page to last. I, just, oh, did I, I didn't try to jump around because I wanted to read it in the order in which you intended it to be read. I never there. quite could get to that reading it myself <laughs> that way. I always wanted to, but somehow something got in the way. Well, I, I, I kind of resisted the temptation to jump ahead a little bit. But I How did it play straight through? Oh, I love this book. I have to tell you, and I'm not just gushing because you're here. I, really, I love this book because yeah. all of these people they're not just big stars they're our favorite stars these are these are people i just I, it warmed my heart to read the Cary grant chapter yeah. you know you got to tell the story what the, the phone call that you opened the chapter with that he got from jack kennedy and bobby kennedy at the white house well he was in his office and uh his secretary as he said my secretary came in and said 
President Kennedy is on the line. I thought, oh, really? Well, that's interesting. I guess I'll have to answer it. So I picked up the phone and said, hello. He said, hello, this is President Kennedy. We're just sitting here in the Oval Office. On the other line is my brother, the Attorney General, Bobby Kennedy. I said, well, hello. Nice to speak to you, Mr. Attorney General, Mr. President. What can I do for you? And he said, oh, nothing. We're just sitting here in the Oval Office talking, and we decided we wanted to hear Cary Grant speak. We wanted to hear your voice. We wanted to hear you talk. I said, oh, fine. I'll do it. <laughs> Pretty Story. funny yeah. uh, image of what the president was doing in the White House. <laughs> just a ma- just I'm hoping to pick- it was not around the Bay of Pigs. Oh, well, yeah. I hope he, uh, you wonder what else was on his mind that day. But yeah. just, 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 it's those little anecdotes that just make this book a delight to read. And you've got book, you. uh, anecdotes like that on, in every chapter of, uh, with, with all these people. Well, we tried to, you know, I tried to remember everything that was amusing that happened. You, I was going to say, do you have a terrific memory, or did you take notes contemporaneous when you were dealing with these people? Because some you've directed, some you haven't. Some you've, you've come in um, contact with in other ways. Some of the things, as I said, appeared in, in brief form uh, earlier, but no, I didn't take notes. Uh, some of the stuff is Q&A, which was taped. There's a long interview with Jerry Lewis that was taped, uh, and there's some medium-length interviews with John Wayne and Henry mm-hmm. Fonda that were taped, but virtually the rest of it is all from memory. Or uh, I suppose I had some diary notes um, that I looked at, but not too much. The jury, I have a good memory of a lot of this. I, I was going to say, you have a vivid memory. It's not like the, Jerry, the Jerry Lewis chapter reminds me, too, of the, the, his, his very insightful comments on the comparison, comparing uh, Martin and Lewis to Laurel and Hardy. Well, they were quite different because uh, Laurel and Hardy were both funny. In with Martin and Lewis, it was Jerry who was mainly funny. Although I always thought Dean was pretty funny, mm-hmm. as he proved to be later once the split happened. And Dean sort of took uh, Jerry's act into the Rat Pack, you know, and mm-hmm. broke up the joint. Well, you write about that in the Frank Sinatra chapter. Yeah. That, uh, that when, the par- when the two of them were paired, again, there was some chemistry going on there around Dean's sense of humor. And Dean was very funny and learned a lot from Jerry. Um, you can see in the early Colgate comedy hours when you see them in the 50s working together. It's fascinating, that live stuff. Seeing how much Dean was watching Jerry closely and seeing every move he was watching to see what he should do, what, he should, what, what Jerry's going to do. I mean, it was uh, it's fascinating stuff. You saw Lillian Gish in person. Saw Lillian Gish at a screening of a film of hers, Way Down East. This was back in the mid-50s. Um, yeah. And she she told a wonderful story. She she told, said some wonderful things about movies and working with D.W. Griffith. It was quite a fascinating moment in time. Uh, imagine that, that you're, that you're meeting someone who was there with the birth of the motion picture, practically. Uh, what, what, what a continuation, a continuum of history we're talking about. Yeah. Well, I was fortunate to meet a lot of people who, and mm-hmm. talk with a lot of people who were there at the sort of beginning of it, you know. It's not very old, the history of movies. About half as old as the United States, a little less. But what impact the films have on us? I mean, you know that. It's just, but talking to all these people, right on down the line, any one of these people, they have such impact. We, we, we feel like we know them. We feel like they're a part of our family. We know all about them. We want more of them. Well, I think the interesting thing was about the original movie stars, as opposed to today's versions, is that the 
sort of mythic figure that was built up from other from directors, writers, and producers uh, making films with these people is that it's it's there's a, a kind of a mythic figure grounded in the reality of a real person who was not dissimilar to what he portrayed uh, but different um, you know Cary Grant had a great line he said everybody wants to be Cary Grant even I'd like to be Cary Grant <laughs> um, and uh, you know I'm sure that John Wayne had that feeling mm-hmm. I'd like to be John Wayne of course nobody could be what those names embodied you couldn't you couldn't possibly be a that person but you can but you came close to it and or you had to live with it, it it's uh, we also talk in the book about the burden of being a movie star and mm-hmm. what it meant and complications of it so it's, it's an interesting subject were there better films being made in those days don't you think so i do i think um uh, i do think so yeah i think we're in a period of decadence at the moment hoping that things will turn around. But there was a glorious golden age of movies. Mm-hmm. And it went from about 1912 to about 1962. I, I, I uh, end the golden age with the death of Bugs Bunny. Yeah. When Warner Brothers closed their cartoon department, I thought, well, if they're going to kill Bugs Bunny, what won't they do? <laughs> and that was the end of movies as we knew them. After this short break, Peter Bogdanovich shares stories about a couple of his own movies. Now back to my 2004 conversation with director Peter Bogdanovich. Something else you said in this book, and and it saddened me, was that you deal with a lot of young actors who seem to have no comprehension of who James Cagney was or who... Some of them don't. I remember talking to this one actor, and I said, you're very good. You remind me of Cagney. And the next day he said, I really appreciated you comparing me to that 70s actor. I said, 70s? This was in the 90s. And I said, 70s? The guy was from the 30s, 40s, 50s. He kind of quit in 1960. Don't you know, Jam, have you ever seen James Cagney? Mm. Well, no, I guess I haven't. And then another actor, I said, uh, a little lighter, I said, little Cary Grant. He said, absolute blank expression. I said, does that mean nothing to you? Oh, no. I said, well, get to it, man. You've got to look at what people, what's preceded you. Otherwise, how can you follow well, especially with American movie classics and Turner classic movies and you know, the old movies there and old movies there. Who has an excuse not to say? Some of these are, are great motion pictures that stand the test of time. Yeah, I know. It's, it's appalling. But, you know, America doesn't have a tradition of culture. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're a little bit what Gore Vidal called the United States of Amnesia. <laughs> well, it I'm strikes afraid me that, that that's the problem. Well, many moviegoers today also seem to judge the quality of a film with how many special effects from Industrial Light and Magic are in the movie. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of special effects. I'm not a big fan of things that aren't that 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 didn't aren't real, you mm-hmm. know. And so much of movies now is special effects and digitized things, and I'm just not interested in it. Well, I do have to tell you, one of my favorite movies going back for many years is What's Up, Doc. I don't remember call that you used a whole lot of special effects in that movie. No, it was no special. <laughs> we did all of it. The chase was 12 minutes. We took four weeks to shoot it. And even when they jumped into when they when the cars went into the bay at the end of that sequence. <laughs> Uh, that was real. In fact, we didn't even cheat. We didn't even undercrank it. We didn't speed it up. We actually shot it. They were going 70 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, that was quite something. Uh, we, we almost lost a couple of people on that, but we didn't, thank God. Uh, but that was fun to do. You know, the, the, the fun of movies used to be in seeing that it was real. Like, for example, Buster Keaton did all his own stunts. 
and you could tell it was Buster Keaton uh, doing all this, and that was part of what made it fun. Um, now it's just you know it's just, it's just a lot of faking, and the it's harder now to get an audience to suspend their disbelief because on a certain level they're saying well it's all it's all fake isn't it I mean mm-hmm. I remember when we made uh, Paper Moon and there's a scene at the end when they drive off in the car and it was a very long 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 road down mm-hmm. a hill and you could just see the road going forever mm-hmm. it was a great road Kansas we shot it and I remember some critics saying that it was obviously a fake road you know and I thought well it wasn't <laughs> Tell him where it is in Kansas. Obviously, has never been to Kansas. So, you know, Clearly, <laughs> but he was—he was the type who wouldn't go to Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> One of those New York. <laughs> but even you know, special effects notwithstanding, I mean, there were great scripts in these days as well. I mean, these people were you know had had great material to work with. Yeah, I think basically scripts were better. It's interesting how much more mature and adult. A lot of older mm-hmm. films were compared to what we have today. When in fact today you can say any word, do anything, and yet films seem to be dumbed down a bit. I don't know what it is. It's a strange phenomenon. These are because it struck me that I mean, one of the things that that really comes through if you read all of these essays in the order is how remarkably sharp, intelligent, and insightful and perceptive all these people are. Oh yeah, these are not dummies. Some people were amazed that John Wayne could speak so well. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Boris Karloff, I mean, surprised me. Uh, maybe yeah. I shouldn't have been surprised, but he was just a remarkably intelligent man. Wonderful man. Wonderful. Real, real gentleman. It, it, but it, I have to also tell you, at the close of almost all of these chapters, uh, I guess maybe all of them, well, except the Jerry Lewis chapter, I guess we're talking about someone who's died at the end. I mean, and, or Sidney Poitier is still around. Uh, yeah, Sidney, yeah. Ben Gazzara. Um, oh, that's yeah, that's right. He is. Yeah, there's a few left. But it, it's it 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 saddened me to realize about the end of each chapter that these people were going to be gone. I mean, you know, we. Yeah. It seems like that's every year we lose dyna- another piece of our iconography. Well, that we do, and it's, it's the way life is. Uh, it was particularly meaningful to me because I became close to a lot of these people, so. Their loss has stays with me, you know. Um, I used to call Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart or Hitchcock or Orson Welles, or we'd be talking during the week, maybe once or twice, and you know, it was like I, it was their friends. And it was weird that I had so many friends that were older, but uh, it was a very rich period. And as you can see, it's a rich period to write about. Is is there only one golden age? Can there never be another? Well, you know, the whole way it was structured was so different. There was a continuity to it. Uh, people were under contract. They, you know, directors, writers, producers, everybody was under contract. Studio, the the crews were under contract. They were. It was a it was a kind of a factory system, but it worked. Not always. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of junk. Not everything made in the golden age was good. <laughs> a lot of it was probably crap. But but, uh, but it, the good stuff was better than what we have today. Also, part of the, the whole dynamic of movie stars has changed. Mm-hmm. Movie stars used to be, you know, contract players. Uh, who, who were They were the commodity that <clears throat> the directors, writers, producers were... Mm-hmm working to um, 
to make more interesting, mm -hmm. to make to to show them at their best, <clears throat> to make the best Cagney movie or the best Bogart picture or the best mm -hmm. Jimmy Stewart movie, and <clears throat> that's that's all gone because nobody's under contract anymore. So it's all one at a time movies. They're all, mm -hmm. you know, each picture is piecemeal, so to speak. So it's all different worlds. You can't expect it to be that way. It's not going to be that way. The other thing that's, is, you know, actors changed because they started under the influence of Brando. They didn't want to be typed. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be versatile, like mm -hmm. Marlon. Mm -hmm. The irony is that Marlon was a star actor. He had a star personality, <laughs> and no matter how uh, complicated his disguises, he, it's, you could recognize Brando underneath it. That's... That's not necessarily true of a lot of the actors today. Not saying it's bad. Versatility is good, but it doesn't give you... You see, the wonderful thing about movies is that they they can convince you, if they're good, <clears throat> that it's real. Mm -hmm. That it doesn't... It's not an actor. I always think the best casting is when you can erase the line that exists between the character and the actor, where... Where you can you can you feel that this person isn't acting but existing, and that's what you felt with the great movie stars. Mm -hmm. You didn't feel oh, with John Wayne's acting. Think he used to get criticized. In fact, he used to get criticized. Oh, with John Wayne's just being himself. Well, you know, who's he supposed to be? That's <laughs> what we want. Within their persona, they had a lot of variety. They had a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of uh, versatility themselves. When you look at Cary Grant and a. Hitchcock picture is quite different than he is, say, in a, in a mm -hmm. Hawks picture or, or in a McCary film. It's different aspects of the same personality filtered through different personalities is really what you have. Peter Bogdanovich died in 2022. He was 82. And you can find an Amazon link to Peter Bogdanovich's book, Who the Hell's In It?, in the show notes or at our website, heardeverything.com. Oh, and that's where you'll also hear my interviews with two other great film directors. My 1994 conversation with Robert Evans. I, I made people cry. I made people laugh. I made people fall in love. I have evoked emotions that no one else could do. I'm an image maker and an emotion maker. And maybe I'm a little crazy, you know, because to accomplish what I do, you can't do it normally. And my 2003 talk with Barry Levinson. I never rule out anything because I never thought I was going to write a screenplay. I never thought that I was going to direct. I never thought I was going to write sketch comedy. So <laughs> I never thought I would do any of those things. So to say where is it going to go in the future and what that's going to be, I don't know. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time, as For Pete's Sake Week continues on Now I've Heard Everything, we're going to be talking about beer. My 1998 conversation with the founder of Pete's Wicked Ale, Peter Slosberg. Because of the introduction and success of Pete's Wicked Ale, they came up with a brand new category of beer called American Brown Ale. So it's kind of really, really great feeling that I started a company and I created a whole new style of beer. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.